Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Islam for Christians, episode 95, Islamic History, 624, The Battle of Badr, part one. Ancient communication, old style communication, was a funny thing. Not at the time, of course, but just looking back from our place in history, it's wild because we live in an age where you can instantly send a message to the other side of the world. And not only that, it's basically free and open to everyone. And this in turn makes warfare very different. It makes revolutions different. It makes responding to events almost comically easy that is, by historical standards, compared to what the ancient peoples had to do. Because back in the day, if you wanted to place an army in the right place at the right time, it took a complex communication chain and a great deal of foresight. In my country's history, at the very beginning, there was this famous story of Paul Revere. Now, Paul Revere was the last leg of a communication chain that included you know, giant lanterns, the famous one if by land, two if by sea code. Paul Revere took the message that the British are coming, and he took it to as many people as he could. And then they passed it on to others, who passed it on to others, and so forth. Popular legend has him screaming, the British are coming, the British are coming. And that's just too cool to pick apart with historical accuracy. So we'll just leave it there. It's true. So when the British arrived, the American militia was ready, ready to go. Why? Because of a good communication network. It took what was basically going to be a gun grab by British soldiers and it turned that into what was later called the shot heard around the world. It was the start of the American Revolution. The Americans were a day ahead of the British, and it made all the difference. Now, interestingly enough, 1,000 years before this, communication networks were almost exactly the same. You know, Muhammad didn't have any giant lanterns to relay signals, but for the most part, the premise was still the same. Messages had to be physically carried and delivered. This is why Medina had such an advantageous position where they were, because they could cut off Meccan caravans coming from Syria. But if they were going to take advantage of that position, it also meant quality espionage. You wanted to know particularly from your new tribal allies, just when to expect that lucrative caravan coming south. Because then you could attack it before Mecca could respond. And that was the idea, initially, in what would lead to the Battle of Badr. Muhammad had sent out two scouts, and they had found the caravan. And word got back to Medina physically, of course, in the old style. And then the idea was to ride the Muslim warriors out to cut off the caravan with overwhelming force. 
and basically steal the whole thing. So far, so good for the Muslims. However, as you know, this was not the raid of Badr. This was the battle of Badr. And the Meccans would have plenty of warriors. So how did that happen? Well, Mecca had a communication network of its own. Counter-espionage. Because not everyone in Medina was happy that Muhammad was there. And word was sent to Mecca about what was going to happen. Now, this was the Meccan version of Paul Revere's ride. It was a horseman frantically riding into town. Muhammad is coming. Muhammad is coming. Well, not really, but that's probably what he should have said. Now, the response was instant. And every tribe responded to the call. Or should I say every clan responded to the call? I think these were mostly Qureshi tribesmen. Now, it's assumed this particular caravan was a lucrative one for almost everyone in the city. And most of the tribal chiefs, um, tribal chiefs of the Quraysh, but, you know, different clans, they would lead their clans personally. A good estimate is about 1,000 men. You know, that's a good number to think of uh, for this army that they end up sending out. The Muslims would have just over 300. So those are really key numbers to remember throughout the rest of this. The Muslims would be outnumbered about three to one. And that's the importance of communication in the ancient world. Because the Meccans were able to turn an overwhelming disadvantage, as far as manpower is concerned, and switch that into an overwhelming advantage because of their communication network so that they could actually get a thousand people to that spot in time. So the race was on. The Muslims were moving to cut off the caravan and the spot that they chose was a valley and oasis called Badr. Now Badr was a classic choke point on the expected route of the caravan. There were mountains to the west and south. There were massive sand dunes to the east. There was a valley surrounded by high ground with few passages out of it. The passage to the northeast was the road to Medina. The one to the south went to Mecca. And there was also a passage to the north and the northwest, which, if you wanted to, would take you closer to the Red Sea coast. Also, importantly, there were three wells toward the middle of the valley and a single well toward the north. And this site would be where the Battle of Badr would take place. However, the nature of that battle changed completely in the day before it actually took place. Because the Muslims... They learned through their scouting and communication network that the rushed-together army from Mecca was on the way. And the Meccans, on the other hand, learned around this time that the caravan, the whole reason for raising this army in the first place, had safely eluded Muhammad and would make it back to Mecca safely. So you end up with this almost humorous, almost 
tragic situation where two armies head for a place only to learn right before they get there that there really is no reason to be there in the first place. The Muslims were going to face resistance, <laughs> which was not in the original plan, and way too much to even think about taking a caravan. And the Meccans knew that the caravan itself was safe, so they had nothing to protect. And yet, humans are a funny species. The battle happened anyway. Why? On the Muslim side, this whole situation, theoretically, it was out of the usual terms of engagement, especially because two-thirds of the Muslim army at this point, they were the helpers faction. Now remember, those are the people that had always lived in Medina. Now their earlier oaths before the Hijra, they did not compel them to fight away from Yathrib or Medina. You know, this was a defensive arrangement, not an offensive one. And then you have the emigrants. Remember, those are the Meccans. Theoretically, they wouldn't be super motivated either. The Meccan Muslims, I should clarify. They didn't have a great motivation once they knew that the caravan wasn't there, except maybe for faith or revenge. Regardless, there would be little money in this for them. But this is where the distinction, as mentioned in previous episodes, really started to evaporate between the two Muslim factions. The helpers, remember those are the Medinans, basically they pledged to do whatever Muhammad told them to do. They decided that they were Muslims first, Yathrib residents second. If the prophet says we go, then we go. And this had come after a year plus of Quranic surahs that praised those who fight for Allah, and the martial spirit had been cultivated, and really this would be the first harvest at Badr. So on the Muslim side, the decision to go was made. So why was this decision made? There really isn't a whole lot of evidence on that. We're basically left to guess, but in my opinion, I think Muhammad saw this as an opportunity rather than a crisis. It was a crisitunity, as Homer Simpson would say. Muhammad's scouts had informed him that the Quraysh delegation had nearly all of the tribal leaders of Mecca, you know, all the clan leaders, you know, just, it was a giant delegation of Meccan big shots. And perhaps this was either a chance to prove himself against Mecca's best, or maybe, in a more cynical way, just pick off some of the leaders of the Quraysh. Muhammad reportedly said, after he learned who was leading the Meccans, Mecca hath thrown unto you the best morsels of her liver. Now that is a confident man. So he was seeing way more opportunity than he was seeing danger. And Muhammad's confidence and initiative are pretty stunning when you think about it, because this was a man who previously, he never did anything big, and certainly not something like this, without explicit orders from God himself. 
Now it's possible he was surrounded by so many men of faith. You know, this expedition just ended up running on religious fervor alone. So regardless of why, for the Muslims, the march to Badr would continue. And then we have the Meccans, the Quraysh. They're a day away from the Muslims when Abu Sufyan sends word that the caravan is safe. So this large army is now between the caravan and Muhammad. Abu Sufyan had taken a route all the way on the seacoast, not going through Badr. So it was safe. It was well west of any place where the Muslims could get them now. So why on earth did they continue? Especially when it seems pretty clear that Abu Sufyan thought it was a bad idea to continue. You know, as far as he was concerned, the crisis was over. And say what you will about Abu Sufyan. He was where he was for a reason. He was sharp. He was cynical as anything. But someone worth listening to when it comes to political and even military strategy. And a few actually did listen. About 300 of them went home, which reduced the advantage from about 1,300 to 300 to about, like I told you earlier, 1,000 to 300. So this is how you end up with the 1,000 uh, men in the end. That's minus the 300 who went home. So I should probably clarify that. It was thir about 1,300 people who actually left Mecca to go to Badr. So initially, these 300 hadn't went home. Muhammad would have been outnumbered more than four to one. So now we have our final numbers, 1,300. So Abu Jal, though, he ignores Abu Sufyan. Um, he wasn't the only one, but he was the main one that's usually portrayed as this guy that's going forward, forward, forward. Because he was able to whip up a martial fervor among the Quraysh and encourage them to continue for reasons of pride, honor, and revenge, which, by the way, are all reasons Abu Sufyan would consider stupid. <laughs> so it, it was mainly emotion, you know, uh, just like the Muslims that really led the, Mecca, the Meccans to Badr. There may have also been some logical reasons, too, the main one being that even after those 300 had left, they did have the numbers by a significant amount. They had all these people, and the Muslims were away from Medina. And did the Muslims know the caravan was safe? Were they still chasing that ghost? And my best guess is their scouts, the Meccan scouts, they probably knew the size of the Muslim delegation. So what I'm trying to get at here is bottom line from, from Mecca they had the numbers, so why not go for it? This seems like a great opportunity. You know, with the caravan safe, obviously the Muslims would have far more to lose here um, than the Meccans would. But, you know, from Abu Jal's perspective, I think part of it, you know, and it was emotion and he was kind of a hothead, but I think a, a, at least a small part of it too was, hey, 
we may never have a situation this great again. You know, maybe we can finish off Muhammad once and for all. However, there were some drawbacks to the Meccan situation. You know, armies are formed on paper, but battles are not fought on paper. So two major drawbacks. Drawback one, the Meccan army was very hastily assembled, and the people were not all great soldiers. Many were pretty old men, actually, and some were terribly out of shape, in fighting shape, both in terms of physical fitness and martial training and experience. Odds are they were just not in peak physical condition. These are men, rich Meccan men, who were great at buying the equipment and playing the part. But as for fighting, let's just say their outfits didn't exactly reflect their battlefield ability, especially when compared to the Muslim side, particularly the helpers faction, who made up two-thirds of the Muslim army. Those were hard men. So maybe the advantage wasn't as large as they thought. And then there was another big problem. This was drawback number two. They were not going to end up choosing the battlefield. Muhammad would. And when you're in a cramped valley, you're not going to be able to maneuver in a way that maximizes your numbers advantage. Not that this army could probably do any complex maneuvering exactly. This was more of a local militia than an organized military force but it was still a, a limitation. So there is some complexity to this. It's not that Abu Jal was just a headstrong maniac who didn't care if he won or lose. You know, he was stupid and headstrong probably, but he wasn't entirely stupid and headstrong. There was actually some sound reasoning into going forward. However, he was just, outmaneuvered and outthought by Muhammad. And when the battle would take place, and even before it, really pretty much all of the intangibles would be with the Muslims on this one. They would fight with more bravery and discipline and a clear mind and, you know, faith. It's a big part of that force times will equation that dictates military power. So you have these two sides, both sides riding toward Badr and expecting to win. Mecca because it had the numbers, and the Muslims, well, because they believed in their prophet, and he believed they would win. And from this point on, the Muslims would just become drenched in good fortune. Quite literally, actually. The first thing to break their way was the rare occurrence of rain in the middle of the desert. You know, I'm not talking desert like an arid part of land. I'm talking desert with sand dunes. It doesn't rain very often. But here it rained, which helped the Muslims and hurt the Meccans. Now, how is that possible? Well, they were both heading to Badr, but they were on very different terrain. So the way I understand this, the way the Muslims were coming, this actually made the ground smoother, and it helped them. But the Meccans, 
who were going up a large incline at the time were slowed down, kind of bogged down in the, I guess, wet sand or mud or whatever it was. And this seems like a small thing, but it would be critical to the terrain of the battle the next day. Muhammad wanted to get there first, and this helped him do that. So when the Muslims arrived at Badr, they were able to set up what would be the battlefield. Now, their first decision was where to make camp. Now, Badr at the time was an oasis, which is basically a place with wells in the desert, kind of like a highway oasis in modern times. It's a place where you gas up your car, you rest a little, you get some water, and you refresh. And the gas pumps slash vending machines in ancient Arabia were one and the same. They were the water wells. That was the whole thing. This was the, your water and your gasoline to gas up the camels and the humans and to give them some water in the desert heat. Now, at the time, Badr basically had four working wells. Three of those wells were clustered in the Middle East of the valley. No pun intended. If you imagine a square divided into nine sections, like a tic-tac-toe game, the three wells would have been in the middle right square about. And the fourth well was in the northeastern corner. Now, why is that important? Now, remember, the Muslims were there first, and they could tilt the playing field to their advantage the wells would end up being a big part of that. Initially, the Muslims had made camp at the very first well that they found. But a man from the Khazraj tribe, so the helpers faction, he came up to Muhammad and asked him, hey, um, was this spot chosen by you or was it chosen by God? Muhammad said, well, I chose it. God didn't choose it. So the Khazraj man, obviously someone with some military experience, had a suggestion to shape the battlefield. So he decided that they should set up at the northernmost well. Now they did this because Muhammad didn't fall into the trap of assuming he knew everything. So the order was given to not only set up along the northernmost well, but also to destroy the three remaining wells. Now, what does it mean to destroy a well? I'm not entirely sure, but I think they just filled it with so many stones that it was inaccessible. The key is they now had the only working well in the Valley of Badr. And in the desert, this is no small thing. Because of this, the enemy would have to either come to them or retreat back into the desert without replenishing their water supply. And this would also serve to weaken the enemy. That is, if they were counting on rehydrating before the battle, just imagine a football team with water playing a team without water or sports drinks or any hydration. It wouldn't guarantee victory, but it would be one more thing in your favor. And for the Muslims, the list of things in their favor was quickly adding up. They had better soldiers. 
their men and animals would be refreshed and rehydrated. They chose the terrain. They clearly had superior strategists and experienced military planners and a clear disciplined command, meaning the Muslim soldiers would do what they were told when they were told to do it. As we'll get to in the next episode, they would have superior physical and mental preparation in the night leading to the battle. Really, by this point, the only thing the Muslims didn't have, the only advantage that they didn't have, were the raw numbers. The Meccans had that advantage, a thousand men to Muhammad's 300. A thousand soldiers of mixed abilities versus 300 determined soldiers, many with military experience, and all bursting with faith in their God and their leader. But still, it's just 300 men. Would that be enough? Thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Insha'Allah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.